Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Flames Fancast. Uh, today we have something a little special for you. We've got Wes Gilbertson, who's a beat reporter from Post Media with us today to talk about draft day for the Flames and a few things going forward in the future. Wes, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm good. It's, uh, it's a little hot in here. I'm getting a little sweaty, but, uh, you know, that's okay. The things we do for recording, <laughs> hey? <laughs> sure beats the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably for us, you know, we'll be in a hailstorm or a snowstorm soon here in July, but you never know. Or five minutes. Whichever. <laughs> uh, Wes, you were in Vancouver for the draft. Uh, how was it? Overall impressions? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I guess, admittedly not the most interesting draft I've ever been to. I think we all went in with, um, you know, not from a Flames uh, standpoint only, but just a league-wide standpoint i think we went in with kind of great expectations uh about what could happen on the trade market you know the draft what makes the draft so fun um you know with all due respect to the prospects who get picked is is all the activity you get all the um you know all the general managers there certainly flames fans have seen some really big uh kind of franchise altering trades in recent years at the draft so um you know this year was kind of dull we saw couple trades in a pretty short span before the action started Saturday morning. Uh, P.K. Subban to the Devils and then the Patrick Marlowe salary dump, but uh, it never really materialized. So, uh, you know, it's always great. It's always a good opportunity for people in my business to catch up with a lot of scouts and managers and and whatnot all in one room uh, and with a lot of other media too. So it makes it a really fun weekend. Uh, but in terms of news, you could really sink your teeth into it was probably a little short this year. Yeah, I know Trill Living is usually pretty busy on trade deadline, uh, not trade deadline day, draft day. But uh, I think this year we were a little bit cautious, especially considering the class of RFAs that we have that need resigning. So we had to be a little bit more delicate with our money. Yeah, I think, you know, he's probably been warning people for a few weeks um, Brad Trilliving, I'm talking about that that it might be a fairly quiet draft that um I think he I think his sense is that it's gonna take a little bit longer for the wheels to kind of get in motion this summer than it has in previous summers. Uh like you said, because of just the really unprecedented class of restricted free agents who need new contracts. Um and kind of the uncertainty about what sort of contracts they're gonna get just in terms of what we've seen in recent years, both with financial figure and, you know, what Austin Matthews signing a five-year deal, uh, only giving up one year of unrestricted free agency kind of does as well. So, um, yeah, I think there was a sense that it could be kind of a, a little bit of a, a slower-paced weekend. Um, and yet, whenever you get all 31 general managers in the same city in the same room, uh, you can get some fireworks. We just didn't see it this weekend. So to talk more generally still about uh, the league uh, in more generally, when we're looking at the unprecedented class of RFAs that we have this year, do you think there will be more offer sheets than we've seen ever before? I, I know that really it, it was almost almost frowned upon by other GMs to consider an offer sheet, and there was that debacle with Calgary and Ryan O'Reilly in the offer sheet that we uh, avoided, luckily. I don't remember exactly what would have happened to us as that went through. But are we perhaps in line to see a few offer sheets come out this year? I don't know. A lot of people think the answer to that is yes, and I, I'm not really convinced. And, and I, I say that for a couple of reasons. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that it makes any sense for a team to give up the number of picks required to offer sheet a star player. Uh, it's just it's too many draft picks. Like you're, look, you're looking at multiple... Um, you know, potentially four first rounders. And I don't know that any team in a salary cap era can give up four first round picks and, and not just totally stunt the growth of their franchise. So I'm not sure it makes any sense from the offering team's standpoint. And then I, I think it's really risky business for a player. Um, you know, I think these guys are, are more than ever before kind of independent contractors but yeah. to walk back into the locker room and look your buddies in the eye and say yeah i signed a deal with x team and i was ready to bail uh and go there because they were going to give me more money 
I I just don't know that that's a a move that a player wants to make. I think you'll see. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of rumors about teams want to talk to Mitch Marner or want to talk to Braden Point. Uh, you know, these agents are really good at their jobs, and those rumors don't end up out there by accident. But I don't think you'll see it used as really anything more than leverage. Now, could we see an offer sheet on a lesser light RFA? You know, a guy who Sam is only going to make. Yeah, someone like a Sam Bennett. I, I think it's possible, but it's it's risky business for a GM too because they don't forget. So, you know, take yeah. Team X and, and they decide they're going to offer sheet Sam Bennett. Well, you know, Brad Living is not going to go out of his way to offer sheet one of their players in two years just because he's holding a grudge. But if there's a player he likes, and he's got an opportunity, you bet he he's going to try and it. talk to him, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. you know, these guys have long memories. So, um, I, I just, it would be, it would sure be fascinating for us to to see and to talk about. But uh, I, I'm just really not convinced that we're going to see a lot of that ever again. Fair enough. And, and, you know, with our history, we, we had a couple of years there. We didn't even have a first round pick and we've kind of barked up that tree and that was not good for us at all. It did stunt our growth a bit, despite the fact that we have a pretty decent core, I think. But, um, yeah, like I think GMs just don't want to jump on that opportunity anymore. They just say, you know what, I'd rather stash my first round pick and, and then go with that. Um, but in terms of maybe the flames, I guess like we're, we ended up uh, drafting Pelche. Is my saying that right? Um, Nikolev, Foyk, Nadler, Wolf. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on some of these picks? Like, I know they're not, uh, you know, high-profile picks per se. I know that some of the media was talking about how Pelche in his interview was saying, "I'm going to win you guys the Stanley Cup." I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, that's all well and good. But uh, what were your t- your thoughts on all that? It's always, you know, it's always tough for someone who hasn't seen these kids play a lot or in some cases ever to really make much of an assessment. Um, you know, I, my takeaway on the Jacob Pelche pick is probably just how excited the Flames are about him. Uh, you know, talking to some people after the draft, they decided like a week earlier that that was the guy they wanted. And, you know, so what we were reporting out of the draft was that they had another meeting with him on uh, Friday morning in Vancouver. Uh, they sat down with a few other guys. But um, when I heard later that they they basically said a week or days earlier, this is our guy, um, you know, for a team at number 26 to get the guy that they really thought they wanted at that position, um, you know, it says a lot about how excited the team is to get him. The the story about Jacob Pelche that stuck out for me was, um, he so he plays through the QMJHL playoffs with a high ankle sprain, and presumably his agent and some other you know people were telling him you know what you shouldn't go to World Under 18s you have a high ankle sprain it's not going to be good for your draft stock, and he said no 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 like I'm going to represent my country I'm not worried about that. And so, listen, the teams that draft these guys are going to tell you glowing stories about them, but uh, that's one that really kind of spoke to his character for me. You know, he sounds like he really has a good, uh, he sounds like the kind of guy that you want in your locker room. Now, I would also pump the brakes and remind people how hard it is still, even as, you know, scouting gets better and better and better even as these prospects get more and more and more pro ready, you're not getting a sure thing at number 26 in the draft. It just, you know, the last two flames picks at number 26 were Matt Pellick and Leland Irving, and they combined to play 26 games in the NHL. So uh, despite the excitement about Jacob Pelche uh, in a city that has been treated to some really high end draft picks in recent years and seen instant results from, uh, you know, Monaghan and Kachuk and to a lesser extent, Sam Bennett. I just don't think Valimaki. you can expect it. Yeah, Valimaki's another great example. You just can't, you can't have that same expectation with Jacob Pelche. He, um, you know, I think it's going to probably be at least two full years based on what I know to, 
until you even consider seeing them at the saddle dome but uh you know the flames sure are excited about them so let's uh let's kind of see where it goes well i think if anything we've shown that with a player like mark jankowski for example we can nurture and develop the right kind of attributes that we want out of a player and then introduce them into the nhl in the appropriate way rather than just say rushing them in like a, a certain club that i know a little bit little bit to the north of us but we won't go there too much today <laughs> uh yeah and I, like I, I agree with your point too Les. it's you know in recent years especially i i have a lot more faith in our scouting system and and the process in which we bring these players up you know we've come a long way from the days of getting like the Rico Fata. I'm and still Daniel heard Kachuk's about Rico Fata. Oh, yeah, I was well, just going to say Rico Fata. Rico Fata, like, you know, oh. there's other guys like that we've, I mean, we've Brent drafted Brom. them. <laughs> but he might not have been first. No, he, I don't think he was. But um, in general, it's been better for the Flames. So I, I'm much happier about that. And I have, I have faith that, you know, Pelche will, will, do, will do something for us at some point here. I, my biggest gripe is is the size and again i haven't seen him play and yes he's got that killer instinct attitude that i'm hearing from you and that's that's great like we need players like we need players that want to win and it feels like during the playoffs it looked like the players were almost like flat mentally um at one point and you know you need guys like like bennett's got that winning mentality in a way that he's gonna just sacrifice his body win the puck on the boards and get something going same with Matty Kachuk, same thing. He'll get dirty, he'll get, you know, into trouble just to get the guys going. We need more guys like them for sure. But I just sometimes I really I sit there and I go, We got a small team and that does worry me a bit. Yeah, the one you know, I think the one trap that you have to kind of avoid when when you're picking as far down as twenty six is um is that you're not gonna get every attribute you want. So you know, a, a guy who's, you know, look at Kirby Doc, a guy who's six foot four and, you know, plays with some snarl and is a first round pick is not going to be there at number 26. Um, so I, I think, you know, in a best case scenario, uh, I think if Brad Living and Todd Button and company were sitting here or if you were talking to them instead of me tonight, I think they'd probably tell you, you know, honestly, they would have liked a little bit bigger guy too. Um, now I've also I'll, I'll tell you guys a kind of popular story uh, in media circles at the so it would have been 2005 I want to say um, whatever year the Flames drafted Matt Pellick Daryl Sutter was running the draft table and uh, they had found out I, I don't remember the exact specifics but but Rhett Warner was either close to being done or had an injury, maybe wasn't going to be back right away. Anyway, so Daryl Sutter said to the scouting staff, you know, we need to find a long-term replacement for, and it might've just been that Rhett Warner was going to age out in a couple of years. He said, we need to find a, a replacement eventually for Rhett Warner. So when, with our first round pick, go, go find me Rhett Warner. And Matt Pellick was the kind of stay at home, hard nosed defenseman that would have been, you know, first in that sort of category on their board. I don't think anyone on the Flames scouting staff was necessarily smitten with Matt Pellick, but when their boss said, go find me the next Rhett Warner, he was the guy. And so you can, you can really get yourself into trouble looking at it the other way at that spot in the draft too. So, um, you know, if you're trying to pick an exact sort of player, when you have the 26th pick overall, that doesn't always work out either. So, um, yeah, I think Pelche's size, more so his probably weight than his height for me, is a little bit of a red flag. Um, probably one of the reasons that he's going to take two or three years until we see him in the NHL. Um, but that's kind of what you get at that point in the draft is, is guys who, hey, if he had this going for him, he'd be the 10th pick. Hey, if he had this going for him, he'd be the 15th pick. And and the reason those guys are still there at 26 is there there's something missing. There was a player, I think, was projected to go around 11th. Uh, I can't, the name escapes me. It's like Kalev, or it was a Russian player. And he ended yeah, up going... Kaliev. Yeah, he ended up going in the second round. Um, was it just because... 
he just had really poor interviews with the teams, or was there something else behind that? You know, I, I don't know the specifics of his story, to be honest with you. The the kind of consensus leading into the draft was from about 15 to 45. It was just a total coin flip. Uh, and so, you know, the teams kind of had guys they liked in the top 15. And then if you got past that, um, it was just going to be like a free-for-all. Every team could probably pick a different guy and put him first uh, from that kind of ledge of prospects so um there we saw some interesting activity early in the draft kind of unexpected um especially with the red wings taking the german um kind of way above where he was expected to go so then you know suddenly those guys in the top 15 some of them are even sliding down and i think that's probably just what you saw with cali and, and teams are still you know, teams are still scared to draft Russians. Scared's not the right way to put it, but um, you know, team teams still are concerned that Russian prospects might high tail. It's to the, the one KHL. league. Yeah, it's the one league overseas that can can give them the same kind of money if they decide they want to. Um, and so, you know, there's teams that have had bad luck with with Russian prospects. Um, especially recently like look at a guy like you know Valerie Nikushkin now he's back but um you know certainly didn't develop into the player that they thought he was going to be so um yeah I, I think probably just you know if they had Kaliev if a team had Kaliev rated about the same as another guy maybe the fact that he's Russian and, and could just go home maybe gave them the heebie-jeebies a little bit um, that could be part of it, but I'm not 100% sure on what the holdup was with him. Speaking of Russians, we got one in the third round, Ilya Nikolaev. Um, I don't know. The last Russian on our actual roster, was it Oleg Saprikin? Uh, well, For the Flames? Anton Babchuk was born in the Ukraine, but kind of raised in Russia. So If he was I, born I, after I 91, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you... Yeah, if you remember the Anton Babchuk era very well, but I'd say he was basically. Yeah. But there's been, you know, Saprikin there. Uh, yeah, there's been a few. Uh, but, but no, it hasn't, it hasn't happened often. You know, the Flames took a, a Russian with their seventh-round pick a few years ago, uh, Rushin Rafikov. Uh, that's he, a Russian I don't name, think... that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think we'll see him here. They took a kid uh, out of the Calgary Hitman organization um, named Pavel Karnikov. Uh, really liked him, and, and now he's he's gone back home. He didn't even come back to play for the Hitman the next year. They don't, I don't think, are really optimistic that he'd be back at any point. So, um, there, I think, I hate making like really broad generalizations because there's some Russians who come over and are willing to play in the AHL. Um, but it's a risk it's a risk for sure yeah most of them would rather develop at home and then you know the teams back home are smart too yeah we'll develop you how about you sign this three-year deal and then it's hard to get out right so um yeah it it is a risk and you know the their latest is a third round pick um Ilya Nikolaev uh you know seems keen on coming to North America, but has two more years on his contract in Russia. Um, you know, kind of a prototypical, sounds like two-way center, um, really wide shoulders on him. You know, he's not that tall, but he uh, he's a pretty big boy. Um, I always think it's a good sign when when they're at the draft, and he was. Um, you know, that, that always signals to me that they, they really have an interest in coming to play in the league. Um, and then you just see how he develops. He, you know, Bob McKenzie does a big does a big panel of talking to scouts, and you know where where do you have this guy and this guy? And he had Nikolaev in his top fifty, so that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. Um, you know, they got him at eighty eight. Um, Bob McKenzie knows a lot more about hockey than I do. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's still a little bit of a roll of the dice for sure. Well, I know, uh, speaking about players at the draft, we had one in the seventh round, and I think you said it was a bit of a feel-good story. 
uh, Wolf, the goalie that we picked, fourth last player in the draft, but was absolutely thrilled to be picked by the Flames. Uh, what was it like to be there for that? The the end of the draft is like people can't wait to get out of there. You know, you've been sitting around for six hours on a, a Saturday, and so they do the second to the seventh round on Saturday. So we're talking about I'm not a very long good at math, it's a but long haul. yeah, 185 picks, 186 picks that day. Um, and so it's just kind of, you know, when a team finishes, they, they still sit at their table, but they're kind of packing everything up. So the Flames are waiting They're you know, they're on the clock at 214. So they know they have one more pick. A bunch of the other teams are packing up around them. You know, the Rogers Arena staff is chomping at the bit to start pushing brooms around. Uh, and they announce his name, and he happens to be sitting there. You know, he's been sitting there with his family. Um, and, you know, most agents would never let a seventh-round pick go to the draft uh, just because they don't want him to experience the heartbreak of not getting picked. Um, but this kid happened to be sitting there. You know, they his his uh team and he he has a very good very well respected agent um thought he could go in anywhere from the third to the fifth round uh and there he is kind of squirming in his seat with four picks left when the flames picked him so the you you instantly heard the shouts from his family uh you know the kid was crying as he went down to get his jersey it just turned into a a really neat story. And, and he's a fascinating prospect too. He, you know, he had the best save percentage of the Western hockey league this season as a 17 year old, uh, turned 18, I think in April. So you don't see that very often, but you know, he's not as big as the monster goalies that teams want these days. So, you know, he's far from a, he's far from a sure bet either as a goaltender. So, um, but, Hey, great story. Uh, a lot of people say you shouldn't pick goalies before about the fifth round now because you just can't handicap how they're going to turn out anyways, so you might yeah. as well wait. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'm not sure the Flames necessarily agree with that. I think if uh, Spencer Knight, you know, the, the top-ranked goalie in the draft had started to slide, then we might not be talking about Jacob Pelche today. But uh, that didn't happen. He was off the board pretty quickly to Florida, so... Um, yeah, so the Flames use their last pick on a goalie. It's kind of, you know, a team wants team wants to draft a goalie or sign a goalie every maybe three years just so you kind of get them aged properly uh, through your system every two or three years. So he, um, you know, these these guys, especially a, a seventh rounder, you know, these guys are a long work in progress. But, uh, man, it sure would be a good story if, uh, if Dustin Wolf turns out to be a player. No kidding. That would be uh, a godsend for the Flames, too. And, I mean, if you look at these modern goalies where you see someone like Binnington or Carter Hart just seemingly coming out of nowhere, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that you're looking at picking one in the fifth round or later because you never really know what can happen. But at least the difference is Carter Hart is supposed to be, like, the next brother, basically, right? That's the only difference with, like, him with the rest. Carter Hart. Carter Hart's the exception for sure. He's a guy, and, and he was actually, um, you know, he was teammates with Wolf and Everett. Wolf was his backup. Um, you know, Carter Hart is on a short list of guys now with Carey Price and, uh, you know, a handful of others who have kind of gone from the draft to the NHL, like, right away. Um, Bennington, I don't know that Bennington is necessarily – he might be an exception too because he took so long to get to the NHL. I mean, he was 25, I think, before he he got the chance, or he was 25, anyways, at the end of the season. But um, yeah, when you take a goalie, I don't, I don't think you expect to see them in the NHL for no matter how excited you are about them, um, unless they're they're really rare. I don't think you'll see them for probably four seasons. Well, it could be worse. We could still be paying Di Pietro, right? So, I mean, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could be the Canucks paying for the Longo's Yeah. Or Florida, too. Guy was a slam dunk. Um, yeah. Wes, if you don't mind, I, I think, like, most of the people who, I mean, all the Flames fans out there, I think the biggest contested issue now is what do we do with all these RFAs? Um, you know, we got, I think the cap is at, what, 81.5 now? Um, and we got Kachuk, Bennett, Riddick up for contract at this point. Um, and we do have 
some pretty good assets, some good core guys, and some good youngsters coming up. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what Chelving does here because, you know, you got to make some way for the young guys to come in. Like guys like Valimaki and Shillington, they, they impressed really well. Valimaki especially uh, impressed a lot last season. You want to, you know, nurture that growth. You don't want to send them back down to the A as if – they're getting punished for playing well, right? You want to keep them up as much as you can. Um, so what, what do you, what's your take here? Like, what, what do we do with all these RFAs? Well, I think, you know, for the three that you mentioned, um, Bennett, Kachuk, and David Riddick, uh, you pay, I mean, you pay them. They're, they're huge parts of your team. Now, obviously, you're trying to get a good contract. Um, but... You know, I, I would put if you asked me to rank guys in order of importance, uh, you know, in terms of success next season, uh, you know, for the Flames to be successful, rank who's most important. Kachuk and Riddick are probably in my top. Well, they're in my top five for sure. Um, you know, they might even be, you know, they, they might be more like top three or top four. Like these, these guys are going to be so critical the success of the flames moving forward um that that you don't have a lot of choice except to you know negotiate like hell and get it done um yeah the the cap they're in a cap crunch like a lot of teams are um you know losing another million and a half off the cap might not seem like a big deal but it's probably the difference between maybe keeping a Garnet Hathaway or having to let him walk as a, an unrestricted free agent. Um, it's maybe the difference between going and signing a more experienced guy for a spot as opposed to hoping one of your kids can do it. So, um, but that that's kind of the, I guess that's just where you wind up with, with RFAs. You know, like it's not a bad situation when a guy has performed so well in his first X number of seasons in the league that you have to give him a big raise. Uh, it's just tough for the flames that they have a few guys they need to sign uh, and they don't have a ton of money. They're going to have to get creative to kind of solve that situation. When we look at our decor, specifically the young players coming up and the players that are perhaps in their mid to late twenties right now, You've got Brody, Hamannick, Stone, Valimaki, Anderson, Shillington. On top of that, you've got Gio, Hannafin, players like Fantenberg, Proud if you want them back. It's a lot of players who could easily crack an NHL roster. Do you think there's any chance we could see some cap relief from that area, uh, especially if we want to promote those younger players into the regular NHL 82-game system? Yeah, I think TJ Brody's a popular um pick in terms of a likely candidate to be moved to get some cap relief um you know and and i'm always i'm always reminding people when i talk to them about this i i know every fan has you know screamed at the tv because of tj brody a few times and um i know, think he, it's only once certainly just once <laughs> yeah he's such certainly a guilty of making a few plays that kind of leave you shaking your head but the Flames aren't going to be better off without TJ Brody. I think that's really important to remember. So, you know, if the one thing that's going to hold up a potential TJ Brody trade is the fact that they're going to want something back for him. I mean, he he's a top pairing defenseman on your team um, for 85%, let's say, of last season. So, um, yeah. I think you'd like to find a taker for him. Uh, you'd still like to get something for him. And I think what we've seen around the league right now is teams aren't willing to pay a lot to take a contract. Um, they they think of it as them doing that team a favor, not the other way around. Uh, yeah, as and we so, saw by the Marlowe deal, I think. Yeah, I mean, like any any thought anyone had in their mind of James Neal maybe getting traded no. somewhere for cap no. relief, like no. if, <laughs> if yeah, if one year of Patrick Marlowe costs you a first rounder, then four years of James Neal, uh, you know, costs you the Calgary Tower and a couple of the mountains and who knows what else. So um, I, I can see TJ. Yeah, exactly. So I could see TJ Brody being traded. Um, 
you know, it makes sense in the sense that uh, Rasmus Anderson looks like he, he'd be ready to step into that role um, and give you some good minutes there. I think Bill Peters has made it pretty clear that in a perfect world, he'd like to see righty-lefty combos instead of lefty-lefty on his top pair. Um, but but I don't think they want to just give him away either. So, um, but you're right, you know, you got to get these, you got to give these kids the opportunity. Um, you know, I think if, if the flames open training camp with a top six next year, of let's say Giordano Anderson, Hannafin, Hamannick, Valimaki, and maybe even stone, um, depending on, on, you know, whether he, whether he can kind of gain the trust of Bill Peters. Um, you know, I could see that. Uh, and I think that's still a, a strong decor. The one thing I'd caution against is you still need some depth, too. How many defensemen have the Flames used this year? A lot. Ten? Eleven, maybe? Well, you think there's still room for players like Prout and Fantenberg? And, I mean, Stone almost seems like the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to make decisions based on salaries. And Stone's signed and Fantenberg and Prout aren't. So... Uh, I think you'll see the Flames probably make an offer to Fantenberg. I, th- I think you'll you'll probably see them maybe go try and get a uh, you know and en- not entry level but a lower tier defenseman as depth. Um, you know I think they feel like they they probably have a decent top six. Uh, maybe they see Fantenberg in there instead of Stone if they can keep him. Um, but you need some depth too, and you also you've got an eighty one. $0.5 million cap, so you've got Michael Stone signed, and, and even if you don't think he's as good as someone else, well, what are you going to do with him? You, I mean, if you can't trade TJ Brody, you're not trading Michael Stone. You think there's any chance they move Hamannick? Because no. the three of those players are UFAs after this year, I believe. Yeah, and I know Hamannick's name has floated out there. Uh, I just don't see it. Uh, now, you know, I've been wrong plenty of times before, but I don't see it. I just think he was so instrumental last year that he was so consistent. Um, he was one of our better stay-at-home defenders last season. I, I don't see it either. Wow. Yeah, he, he does he does some things that other guys don't on your team. Um, and so I would guess if if the trade rumors are legitimate, it would hint to me that uh, they have a sense of what his ask might be after next year, and they're not comfortable with it. Uh, you know, although teams don't talk extension or can't talk extension, you, you know the parameters that you know the agent might be poking around for. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, I I see Travis Hamonic as a pretty important part. Uh, I see him as a pretty important part of Noah Hannafin's development. Um, you know, I, I could see him becoming a pretty important part of Yusuf Valimaki's development. Um, so, and, and, you know, he's, he's an important part of their, their room too. You know, he's, um, there's a lot, there's a lot he does. Uh, there's a lot of toughness he provides there. There's just a lot, uh, to like there that I don't think is easily replaced. Uh, and so I, I would be pretty now if they get, if they're in cap jail and a team wants Hamannick instead of Brody, maybe they can be talked into it, but I think they'd be pretty loath to, to move Travis Hamannick right now. I know I would be. Hmm. So all things considered, like our RFA, uh, load and the amount of defensemen that we have come July 1st, what is it that you think the Flames will be doing? Well, they're going to sign a goalie. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know who it is, but uh, they're going to need a goalie. Uh, and then I don't know that you can. Uh, I don't know that you should expect really anything else on July first. I, I think you know, in talking to some people at the draft, they really think that the RFA situation is going to slow up the UFA market a lot in um much like it did for the trades in the draft. Yeah, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see the big guys get their money, right? You know, everyone will tune in at what is it, 10 a.m. Mountain? I, I don't even remember. 
everyone will tune into, you know, TSN or tune into Sportsnet and, you know, somebody will sign Artemi Panarin and somebody will sign Sergei Bobrovsky and somebody will sign Tyler Myers and Jake Gardner and I, I, you know, maybe Joe Pavelski. I know I'm missing a few of the big names. Like, there's some big ones, right? There's some Duchesne. big fish in the pond. Yeah, Matt Duchesne. Thank you. Um, so I think you'll see that. <laughs> I think you'll see that right away on July 1st. But talking to some hockey people, they think after that, there's a real possibility that like from July 2nd to August, who knows what just goes really quiet. So, you know, if I had to, if I had to guess what I'm writing about on July 1st, I think um, a goalie and then, you know, teams are always in the market for that kind of AHL tweener, you know, I'm, like thinking of guys the Flames have signed in the past, Alan Quine. Yeah, Quine type guy. Um, Derek Grant goes back a few years. Uh, you know, Buddy Robinson is a guy who we haven't seen at the NHL level, but, uh, you know, fit that category last year. Um, I, I, I bet we'll see a couple of those. You know, the competition can can get relatively fierce for those guys just because every team's kind of looking for a cheap guy that they can call up in a pinch. Um, so, the, so those guys tend to go off the board a little bit earlier as well. Um, but I, I don't think like in terms of put it this way, I, I don't think there's going to be a guy on your four lines or six defense that was signed. And I mean like opening night that was signed as a free agent this summer. Well, I think considering our, well, cap, cap position, the, yeah, the goalie, you're right, uh, but you're right. I, I agree with you there that there's probably no one coming in immediately for the starting lineup, but perhaps that depth kind of player. Um, speaking of the goalie, is there any chance Mike Smith comes back, or are we looking at someone new? Uh, and on top of that, are we kind of looking at uh, David Riddick as the starter here, or is it a 1A, 1B type thing again? Um, I think – I don't think – Mike Smith has been ruled out. That's for sure. Um, you know, you're going to hear reports that he's talking to some teams. I don't know if he actually flew anywhere to visit teams, but uh, he's doing some interviews with teams. Um, it sounds like Mike Smith actually, and, and this surprised me a little bit, to be honest, when I heard, but it sounds like Mike Smith would actually really like to be back in Calgary. I'm just not sure that they are willing to go down that road. Um, certainly they're, talking to him but i don't think he's their i don't think he's their first choice when the goalie carousel spins um and and yeah i think i think david riddick is your number one guy next year but i i think you're probably looking at a split of like one guy plays 50 games and the other guy plays 32 i don't think david riddick is going to see a workload in the 60s that's for sure jank how happy would you be if cam talbot came to calgary i i, I you know <laughs> I'm biased because he was on the Oilers, obviously, but um, I, like I, I've been reading those rumors, as I'm sure all of you have been seeing it on on Twitter and 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 where where have you? But you know, the one A one B thing just drove me crazy. I know there are examples of it working; it just hasn't worked for the Flames. Um, in recent memory, we've gone through six goalies in what four seasons now. Um, and and you know, a couple of times of which they were one A one B goalies. You know, we had. Ramos sharing the the responsibilities and then we had the Elliot thing and then we had Hiller. Hiller. Like I just I'm I'm tired of being the revolving door of goalies here in the NHL. Like it feels like that's what we've been. And I think we finally got something in Riddick here. Riddick looks solid throughout the whole season, for the most part anyway. I think after the All Star break it was a bit hit or miss and I, I think it came out that he was a little injured. Uh but right. I think part of a goalie psyche is to be told and to know that you are the number one guy. And that way, you know, if he's having a tough game, he's going to remember that likely he's going to be back in that next game, even if he gets yanked. And I think that just, you know, that speaks volumes on a guy's confidence. Right. Um, so I'd love to see Riddick as number, I've been hounding for Riddick to be the number one as long, along with many other fans, I'm sure. Um, I'd like to see that. Yeah. And I think that's what you will see. Um, you know, you have the team's not going to come out and say that he's their number one today because 
they're trying to get an they need a backup who can take the load if David Riddick can't. You know, I think David Riddick has shown us a lot of really good things, but but he's still a bit of an unknown commodity in terms of how he would handle being the go-to guy. Um, you know, that that's we we haven't seen him play a playoff game, right? Yeah, that's um, a good point. So I you know, Cam Talbot is the guy that I think, you know, that's my hunch. Uh I would call it a probably educated guess, not so much on what I've heard in the past week, but more so knowing how much they liked Cam Talbot when he got traded to Edmonton from the Rangers. I mean, Brad Treliving was was right in the thick of that trade negotiation. He wanted Cam Talbot and Calgary then. Um, you know, and and also just because I think Cam Talbot I don't know if he's a buy low candidate per se, because he's still gonna get some money, but he, he's I think he's more of a bargain at this point than Semyon Varlamov, who I think is still going to get a pretty decent chunk of change. Uh, I think Peter Mrazek's playoff performance is, is going to drive that price up a little bit. So um, Talbot is the guy I look to, um, but I, I'm not sure. I think, and, and I think this is kind of what you were saying as well. I think if the guy that you signed on July 1st ends up being your best goalie next season, something's gone wrong. Um, you know, they're counting on David Riddick to be their guy for sure. And I think we are too. And it would just be really nice to see one of our prospects ease in or step into that role and take it with confidence and aplomb that well, we all know that he can't anyhow. And uh, I don't know. I think there'd be mixed feelings about Smith and Talbot, but in the end, if he could play that 50-32 role or even a little bit to the smaller side on that, I'd be, I'd be pleased with that. Any chance yeah. that McElhaney comes back? I think they'd like Curtis McElhaney a lot more if he wasn't 30... Yeah, 36. 37, I believe. 36, yeah. yeah. Smith um, is 37, he's 36. Is Smith 37? Okay, yeah. So. Yeah, you're right on that one for sure. So, um, Not often yeah, I hear that, I, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would... You know, I think I think they really like a lot about Curtis McElhaney, except for his age. Um, it, it's you know to you can go through the list of what I would consider free agent options for the Flames, and I'd put McElhaney on that list for sure. You know, Smith. Let's say Smith, Talbot, McElhaney, Varlamov, uh, Mrazek. Mrazek, yeah, I put Mrazek in there. So, so let's just take those five guys. I mean, you could come up with a pretty good reason not to sign all of them. Yeah, uh, you could. <laughs> you know, it, it is that kind of free agent class, right? So, you know, if if you went to Brad Treliving and said, "Here's a blank check. Who do you want as your free agent goalie?" They'd sign Bobrovsky, but they don't have a check, right? No, uh, that check's going the, to Kachuk. Yeah, so. Um, quite frankly, I'm not sure that they can afford a Varlamov or maybe even a Mrazek. Um, I'm not sure they can afford a Mike Smith, but maybe Mike Smith ends up getting paid less than Talbot. I don't really know. The the goaltending musical chairs, it's going to be fascinating how it shakes out. I mean, we'll Um, we'll wait with uh, bated breath from July 2nd to August, whatever, (laughs) but uh, we'll be there every day. (laughs) Yeah, you'll see see a goalie on July 1st. Those dominoes are going to fall in a hurry. That'd be good. Uh, Okay, let's switch gears for a bit here, and let's talk about your job, your role with Post Media. Um, Tell us some of the perks of the press box. Well, I always just tell people that... um, you know, you just people people go through a lot to get to hockey games, right? They try to screw off work early, and they rush home, and they change, and they go, you know, to get to the saddle dome, and uh, you know, spend a lot of money to be at those spend games. Spend half an hour in line like, for the bathroom. Yeah, I don't. Unfortunately, I can't. You know, have a couple of eleven or fourteen dollar dome foams and <laughs> sit sit and scream like everybody else. But uh, you know, I always kind of put it this way, and I think it's the number one perk of my job. I'd I'd probably be going to the games anyways. You know, I'd probably I'd want to be there. I'd want to be part of the 
atmosphere and watch obviously you know the level of uh action on the ice just keeps getting better and better the you know talent level is absolutely absurd the speed in the nhl is nuts so um i think that's the biggest perk you know there's some there's some kind of stale popcorn up there too but the biggest perk is just being up there it's just you know kind of having access to something that you know and you really kind of try not to take it for granted when you get into a scenario like the playoffs or whatever like you're you know you're somewhere that a lot of people paid a lot of money on StubHub to be uh and yeah you're working so it's not the same as being there as a fan but you try not to you know take the access for granted that's for sure so alternatively then what is the absolute worst part of it not that well, you're taking remember, it for granted, but yeah. Remember a few years ago when they were losing and Mark Giordano tied it with four seconds left against St. Louis right before Christmas, and then they won in overtime? Those nights become pretty stressful for writers who have to send a story in right when the final buzzer goes. So, um, you know, it's Dead not a, it's a... It's a really fun job, but... Um, it has its stressful moments too. Uh, that doesn't even sound too bad. Well, not only that, but like it's, we have so many third period comebacks this year. Yeah, like, I mean the, those... the Philadelphia game. I'm thinking of. <laughs> I know being in the dome for that one. That was nuts. Like it, that was crazy. Yeah, I couldn't you, imagine what it was like for you. Yeah, you don't have to remind me of some of these. I remember the details of a lot of them. But it, it's fun. Listen, it's you know it's it's where you want to be. It's. Uh, you know, in our business, you want people to be, you know, you don't want to be writing something that nobody's reading. So, you know, when the flame, when people are interested in the flames, it makes our job even better because people are interested in what we're doing. And that, that's kind of, you know, the fun part of it for me. For sure. And I guess like to lead into this, like we're wondering, is there any funny or cool story that kind of sticks out uh, in their last few years, I guess, of, Doing the flames and reporting this. Traveling with the flames. Yeah, just something because you know we're we're two guys in like a Wayne's World t- style studio here. You know, like we we don't really <laughs> we don't really have like the perks yeah. of of this, yeah. but and we want to live vicariously through you. Here. His hat right now. I, I still am having trouble coming up with a really good story for you. I'm just gonna babble for a couple minutes and see what I can come up with. But, babble away. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, there's there's a lot of. I mean, you you certainly hear. I couldn't share some of them, but you certainly hear some stories from uh, being a little bit close to the team that are, uh, you know, pretty good, pretty good knee slappers. I'll probably, maybe when I'm retired, I'll share a few of them with people, but not, uh, not too many. I think. Um, we're sure, yeah, you know, we're not I, here to get you in trouble either, obviously. <laughs> so we're not going to no, push it. I, but. I, uh, I don't know. Um, there's lots of there's lots of people in my business who are better storytellers than me. And, and I think it's just cool to, you know, even like the story I told you guys earlier about, uh, you know, the behind the scenes of how Matt Pellick was drafted and came to be a first round bust for the Flames. Like it's it's neat to get a little bit of a behind the scenes. It's you know, it's cool. it's even cool. I'm sure for you guys, um, you know, when you watch on TV and there's a kid playing his first NHL game, or you see, you know, I think everyone remembers the celebration this year when Andrew Majipani scored his first NHL goal. Um, You know, it's cool to just be able to go talk to that person after, right? Uh, It's cool to kind of be able to tell those. Yeah. So I, I, See the look on his face, you know, smell that equipment after the game. That's what you're getting at. I get it. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that, but, but those don't make like great, like let's sit down and have a few beers and hear some great stories. I'm sure I could come up with a few of those, but uh, to be honest, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank right now. That's all good. I mean, we, we, we weren't expecting the Dustin Bufflin, Huck, Vander Kane's like stuff into the shower type story, (laughs) but uh yeah, um, you know, I can't tell you guys all of the details of that story, but it's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Someone who can. I'm uh, sure there's I some would... about about the Flames too around Ginla and Fanuf and that whole trade. Yeah, I'm sure there's some. See, Tyler's now trolling there, you. So there's there's always 
Yeah, there's always a lot of stories. And, and I'll say this, you know, the Flames have been a really uh, great team to cover for the last few years. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of drama. There's not a lot of BS. And, and they're, you know, they're really good, decent human beings to talk to. I, you know, I really enjoy, um, you know, chatting with those guys. Uh, so, yeah, I can't uh, I can't give you a good the Kane Bufflin one is a great example of a story that kind of um, took on a life of its own. But I don't know that I don't know that Calgary's had one of those for a long, long time. You're probably you're you're right. It, it is probably for the best too. Um, you know, the last thing we want is to bring like a Sean Avery out of retirement so we could talk about his ex girlfriends because we <laughs> we talk about ex girlfriends on our podcast all the time. We don't need no one else needs to hear that stuff. We can but, have a whole podcast dedicated. Well, to yeah, that. we could, but we're not going to. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll spare you, Wes. Um, but that no, that's great, man. And and you know, again, we really appreciate you uh, joining us. Like this was a ma- major treat for at least our niche little podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciated it, and I hope you have a great summer on the course. Yeah, it was fun, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see how many of my free agent predictions come through on Canada Day. Hopefully hopefully they sign one of the goalies I named. Yeah, hopefully we do get a backup goalie. That's, uh, that is necessary for us to go forward. But again, thanks yeah, a lot, absolutely. and uh, take care. Have a good evening. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was Wes Gilbertson from Post Media, Beat Reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. I think it's Wes underscore Gilbertson on Twitter. Uh, catch him up there with all the Flames news and information. It's a really good follow. Um, this is it for us for a while. We'll be off the air until about August, I think. We're both going to go on a bit of a holiday, take some time off, enjoy it. Um, as you heard today, there probably isn't going to be too much going on with the Flames over the summer, but... In August, we'll be back recapping uh, what's gone on with the Flames Summer Acquisitions, and we'll see uh, a bit of a season preview and how we go from there. Thanks so much for listening, guys, as always, uh, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.